0: Let's get to the spiritual stuff. 2 Chronicles chapter thirty-four. <coughs> Second Chronicles chapter number thirty-four, and uh, I want you to look at verse number one. And when you get there, let's stand together. Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four and verse number one. <coughs> I'm excited about the message today, and I believe there's some things in here God would have us to have, and I'm going to need you to put your spiritual dentures in today because we've got a few meaty things we need to chew on. And I'm going to do my best to present it in a way that honors and glorifies God and try to preach the truth and to teach the truth in love. Uh, but I believe God has some, some, uh, some thoughts for us this morning that we need to chew on as his people living in the day and age that we live in. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, look at verse number 1. The Bible says Josiah was 8 years old, When he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in thirty years, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. From the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. Notice that. I have it underlined in my Bible. He began to seek after the God of David his father, in the twelfth year, uh, year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Now watch what he did in verse number four, and they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them, he cut down, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them, and shrewd it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. He burnt the bones of the priest upon the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Look down, if you will, in verse number 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masaiah, if we got that right, we'll just go along with those names, okay? The governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. So he sent them to repair the temple, and as they're doing this, we pick up in verse number 14. When they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Let's stop there and let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, Or thank you for the privilege to come. Lord, to have our hearts ready to receive what we know you've prepared for us. Now, Father, I just pray you give us great grace today in the preaching, the presentation of your word. Thank you for the message you sent and how it brought great conviction to my heart, and I pray that I would be changed by it. pray we'd all be changed by it today. Or for those that are saved, Lord, help us to see our need to, uh, Lord, uh, receive your word and allow it to change us. And then for those that are lost, I pray they'd be saved today. And Lord, know that heaven's their home. And Lord, for all that we do, we th- you're going to do, we thank you for that. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read an in- interesting article this past week. It was an article that, I forget who published it, but it was an article that Uber had put out. And Uber, you know, the ride-sharing, like Lyft, the ride-sharing program that's out there, become very popular. And uh, honest with you, I did not think Uber would ever take off. Who wants to go ride in a stranger's car? Uh, But now I have done it many, many times myself and find it quite convenient uh, when you're out of town, you fly into a town and don't want to have to pay for a taxi. And the article really dealt with things that Uber drivers have found in their car, that passengers have left in their car when traveling. And the first list that they gave was the most common things that have been left in an Uber car. The first number one, ironically, was people's phones. It's ironic because you pay for Uber with your phone, and you got to have your phone to pay for that. So it was funny to me to read the first thing that they find in the cars. The most common thing they would find in a car was their phone. And I don't know about you, but I've become one of those people that I used to talk about who had to have their phone with them all the time. I used to pick on people, and I used to ridicule people, you know, they had to have their phone with them at all times, and I've become one of those people before long, I feel this thing will be grafted to my chest right here where it sits in my pocket, because I've got to have my phone all the time. So it's kind of ironic and funny that people would leave their phones behind. The second thing that people would leave behind was their keys, the third is their wallet, the fourth is their glasses, their purse. Gloves, phone chargers, and sunglasses. And I I think I've probably lost most of those things before or left those things behind. But here's where it gets interesting. They also included a list of the oddest things that have been left in an Uber car. The first thing on the list was a live lobster can you imagine being an Uber driver and dropping off your client and going down the road and look and I don't know if it was buckled in or not for safety, but looking back here on the back seat and there's a, a lobster sitting there on your seat and I couldn't help but think about the poor guy that left it, how disappointing he must have been when he got wherever he was going and had lost his lobster. One of the other things that was on the list that people have left behind is a rubber mallet. I don't know what they were going to do with that, but I would kind of wonder myself, it may be good that the person left their rubber mallet behind in the Uber car. I don't know, you know, can you imagine this guy was on his way somewhere and had a use for that rubber mallet and maybe it was a person, maybe it was a job, who knows what it was, but he had a use for it. When he got to where he was going, he, he had left his rubber mallet in the Uber. One man says he found a hoard, a, a stack of bags of hot Cheetos. That would, that would definitely be disappointing to leave behind. One person found a smoke machine. One person found a wedding dress. That's disappointing. Now they may have left it on purpose. Who knows? But imagine getting to your wedding after Ubering to town and realizing you've left your wedding outfit. One person even left a bulletproof vest. I'm telling you, America's a scary place when you have to bring your bulletproof vest to ride in an Uber. One person even left the prescription of Valium. I'm sure they missed that. One person even left a grill set. They left their spatula and their steak knives in order to go and grill. But here's what was interesting. As I was reading this article, I was thinking about how easy it is for us to lose things and leave things. I am notorious for that. Um, my wife and I have a running, I'm not going to say it's a bet because Christians don't bet, but we'll call it a wager. My wife has a, uh, we have this wager going that I'm going to lose this pin before long. She bought it for me about four years ago and so far I've kept up very good with this pin. I haven't lost it, but I have lost plenty of other things in my life. She bought me a pocket knife before I went to Africa, you know, just something that I could conceal and carry over there, try to be safe. And uh, I lost it before I returned home. I really just donated it is what I did. Uh, She didn't appreciate that, but I donated it. That's what happened to it. And she bought me another one, and I lost it too. And so I'm notorious for losing things and leaving things behind, and I'm thankful so far. I have not lost anything of really extreme value I still have the one kid the Lord gave me. I'm thankful I only have one right now because I'm afraid if I had more than one, I may have lost them. So far, I've not lost anything of value, but I want you to know this morning that oftentimes in our life, we can lose things without really realizing we've lost them. We had put on social media earlier in the week a message we've been preaching today about how to look for things that are lost and look for what is lost, and I want you to try to imagine this young king we're reading about this morning in Josiah. The Bible says in verse number one, he was eight years old when he began to reign. Try to put yourself in the place of an eight-year-old child assuming the throne after his father was murdered. That's why he takes the throne, because his dad's been killed, and as Josiah begins to get older, the Bible says in verse number three, in the eighth year of his reign, he was 16 years old. He begins to try to get the country in order, and he begins to realize that as he puts his country in order, that his is in a mess. Realizes that his country has 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 slidden down the slope of idolatry and no longer do they worship the one true God, but they're worshiping false gods. It was just his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, that had brought God back into the center of the picture. And now, just two or three generations later, the scenario has dissolved down to idolatry once again. And it's now, here's young Josiah trying to reset his country, he realizes that his country has lost track of God. Now listen to me, you lose your Cheetos or your rubber mallet or even your lobster, these are things you can replace. But when you look up one day and realize you've lost God in your life and you've lost God in your country, you've lost something for sure. Josiah begins to realize that. He looks around and he can't find God in his government, can't find God amongst his people. And so he sets out in verse number three to seek after the God of David, his father. This ought to be an interesting scenario for us today. We look around in America today, it's hard to find God in our country anymore. Let's just go back, as Josiah did, to the generation of our great-grandfathers. My great-grandfather died when I was three years old, but I got to know him. And the generation of the life of my great-grandfather, it wasn't hard to find God in America. As a matter of fact, believe it or not, for some of you that are the younger generation, you could even find God in school. You could find God in our government. You could find God in the schoolhouse. You found God, of course, in the homes, and it was easy to even find God in churches, but I hate to tell you something. The world we live in today is a lot like the one that Josiah has inherited. It's hard to find God anymore. It's hard to find God in our government. You can't find God in our schools. I hate to say it, but it's even hard to find God in a lot of our homes, and even worse than that, it's even hard to find God in some of our churches. And our only hope this morning is to follow the pattern of Josiah and go find God again. Josiah assumes the throne, and he looks around, and he says, God's gone. My great-grandfather, Hezekiah, brought God back in and restored the place of God in Judah. And now God's gone, and here's a 16-year-old kid. Don't ever let anybody tell our young people that you can't serve God when you're a teenager. He's 16 and leading a country back to God. But listen to me this morning. If we don't realize that God is missing, then we're not going to go looking for him. You just need to look around at our government, look around at our schools, look around at our homes, and even look at our churches, you'll see that God is gone, and the only hope for our nation is the only hope for Josiah's, that we do what verse number three says. He began to seek after the God of David, his father. So this morning, I want to give you four things. Four things means quicker, okay? I don't get to spend as much time, but we're going to go through these four things that I believe show us on how to look for what is lost the first thing that you notice is in verse number three. Look down there, real quickly. The Bible says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Now, here's what's interesting as Josiah begins to look for God, he says, We've lost God. Our country has lost God. He's, God's not here anymore. God's gone. He says, We've got to seek after, and notice the word, the. That's a very important word. Josiah is not just seeking for a God. He says, The only hope for this nation is that this nation seek out the God. Now, this is very important this morning. He's giving detail in the God that he is seeking. The first thing this morning that you need to know when you're looking for something that's lost is you need to know what to look for. You need to know what to look for. Now, don't overlook the obvious. How can you find something if you don't know what you're looking for? You know, have anybody here lost a cat or a dog? I think people lose them on the streets that I live on. It's weird, they, I think they dump them out purposely out of my yard in my driveway. Some people even lose possums out there in my driveway. They're all, all the time walking around, uh, raccoons and stuff like that. But you lose a cat, you lose a dog, you lose a kid, you print up a poster. And you have their picture on it, and you give a description of what they look like. I remember when Miley's cat decided that they didn't wanna, he didn't want to live with us anymore, uh, we started describing to our neighbors what he looked like. He said, he's a gray cat, about this big. Uh, his name was Figaro. And uh, he didn't answer to the name of Figaro, but that's what we called him anyway. And so we're looking for this gray cat. You know how many gray cats there are in the world? I says, well, he's a gray cat, and he's got white mittens. They call them mittens. They weren't real mittens, okay? My cat didn't wear socks, but it had those white little patches of fur on his feet. And I'm trying to give the best description I can so that people can help us find what's missing now listen to me this morning if we're going to look for what is lost and we're gonna find God we've got to know what we're looking for and Josiah gives a, a description notice he says the God of David his father Now here's the problem the problem is Josiah's dad his biological dad and his grandfather if you'll look back to verse number 21 of chapter 33 The Bible talks about his dad and his grandfather. Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. Listen close. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them. Notice the kings who had come before him had created their own gods. They were false gods. The Bible says they were carved images. And as Josiah begins to get the country back in order, he says, those gods cannot help us. Now this is important to understand this morning because if you don't realize that the only God that can help us is the God, then you're going to seek after a God that's a God that may be what you want but can't do anything for you. I fear this today. I fear in America... Even in Christian churches in America, we have created our own God. That's a God carved in the image of what we want rather than the one true God that is God. They say, what do you mean? Well, understand this. The gods that were created in Judah and Jerusalem were false gods that catered to the wants of the people. So rather than the people living out in the image of the God, they created a God in the image of what they desired. That's a false God. Folks, can I tell you, I believe in American Christian churches this morning, there's a lot of worship going on of a false God. I believe that with all my heart. Why? Why? Because the God that we so often worship is a God that's more in our image than we are in His. Could we say that again? The God that so many of us worship in our churches today is a God that we have created that caters to our wants rather than what He says. That's not the true God. Matter of fact, turn with me to your left. Or, or turn with me, I'm sorry, not to your left. Psalms 115. That'll be to your right. That'll be to your right. Psalms 115. I want to show you what the Bible says, verse number four of Psalms 115. The Bible says their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. This is a God that is created by man. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. Now watch verse 8. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that you are very capable, and I am very capable this morning, of manufacturing our own God. And it's ironic, if you'll pay close attention, and we can be honest with ourselves this morning, so often the gods that we manufacture cater to the wants that we already have. We see this in the Christian church in our country. 2,600 years after the reign of Josiah, I believe we've lost track of the true God. Josiah says the only hope for our nation is to seek out the real one, because these false gods are not going to get the job done. I'll give you an example. I'll show you a picture. Recently in Texas, there was a prayer meeting in a Texas abortion clinic. This, this, this um, prayer meeting was held by Christian pastors. That's what they call themselves. This is in the state of Texas inside of an abortion clinic, and these are Christian pastors, and let me tell you what they prayed for. Here's the quote. The first and foremost goal was to say that we support you and the work that you're doing, especially in a state where you're constantly having to meet new regulations or deal with critics and protesters. These are Christian, quote unquote, Christian pastors who are walking up and down each hallway and room of the abortion clinics praying God's blessings upon an abortion clinic. Can I tell you something? They may call themselves Christians, and they may say that we worship the same God, but they have created a false God that is not the God. That's not the same God that I worship. They have created that because that God caters to what they desire. That's a false God. Now, folks, listen. the pulpits of America this morning, there are people preaching a false God that caters to the wants and the desires of the people, but that God has hands that cannot help this country. The only hope for this country this morning is for, listen, for people to get behind the true, one, and living God, whether or not it makes us feel good or not. Now, folks, understand. Look, I love you with all of my heart. I've been praying for this service, praying that God would bless this message. But the only way that America can find what we've lost is to realize that what we've lost is the true God. And we've replaced him with a manufactured God that caters to what we want. That's what happened in verse 21, 22, and 23. Cory Booker's running for president of the United States. He quoted as saying this the other day. Christ is the center of my life. That was encouraging to hear. Then he goes on and officiates a same-sex marriage for nine couples. He tells husband that all women... All women should have the right to decide what to do and to control their own body, even if it means having an abortion. Can I tell you something this morning? Christ cannot be the center of your life when you condone what God calls an abomination. That's not possible. You're worshiping a different God than I worship because my God says, listen to me, the Bible says six things that the Lord gave, seven abominations, a proud look, a lying tongue, and the Bible says hands that shed innocent blood. My God does not condone that. So he must be worshiping a God that he created, but it's not the true and living God. His God can't help America. The only God that can help America is we get back to the true God who backs up his word. You want to get to know the true God, you just read his autobiography. This is everything that God wanted us to know about him. You say, well, Brother Jeremiah, that's kind of extreme. <clears throat> can I tell you that all across This country this morning, Christians are worshiping a God that is increasingly reflective of our image. I meet people around Hattiesburg. Ask where they go to church. And then I like to ask people why do you go to church there? Ask people why they like I like the music. No, I love our music. That's not why I come to church here. Well, I, I like I like the preacher. He doesn't get on my toes, he's not mean. You can come as you are, stay as you are, and go as you are. Look, can I tell you something this morning? That is the, has become the rule, not the exception. But that's not the true God. First John chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, love not the world. Love not the world. And can I tell you, in a lot of churches all over our country today, there's now a partnership of God in the world. But it's not my God. He doesn't partner with the world. Look, the churches all over our country this morning, churches even in our city this morning, they've partnered up with the world. We're going to bring in their music and their lifestyle and their standards, and we're going to partner them up with God. That Look, God doesn't cohabitate with sin. doesn't work that way. Look, if we want to have a church that points our children to Christ, it's got to be a church that honors and glorifies the true God, and he is who he says he is, not who we want him to be. Romans chapter 12, the Bible says to be not conformed to the world. Be not conformed to the world. The Bible says that the church of the living God, the people who represent the true and living God, we should not be conformed to the world. And yet you look today, that's part of our Christian strategy. We're going to win people by being conformed to them. No, the, the God, the true God says, be not conformed to it. I know that's not going to feel pews this morning, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will help us find what we're missing. Josiah says here, we've got to seek after the God of David. He says those other gods can't help us. I love reading <clears throat> about the God of David in Psalms 23. I love those things, the still waters and the green pastures. I, I love those things, but can I tell you, the God of David was a God of his word. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see where David sins with Bathsheba. God sends the preacher, his preacher to the king and he says you've transgressed you've messed up he says the sword shall not depart out of your house he says you're gonna pay for the sin that you've done wrong and he goes out nathan the prophet lays out all of the consequences of sin can i tell you that's the god of david he did not overlook sin can i tell you in our pulpits today we've created a god that overlooks sin We've created a God that tolerates sin. Look, can I tell you this morning, do not mistake God's mercy for tolerance. Let's not mistake that this morning. I'm thankful for God's mercy. I sat back in the office a moment ago and bowed on my knees before Almighty God, and asked for mercy. I said, I need mercy to present your word. I'm not everything that I could be. God, I need mercy and grace. I'm thankful for God's mercy, but don't mistake mercy for tolerance. God still doesn't tolerate sin today like he did back in Josiah and David's day. That is the God of David. That's where he stands. If we want to find what we're missing this morning, we've got to know what we're looking for. And we're not looking for a God who condones sin. I was thinking this afternoon, uh, yesterday afternoon, have you ever been to Times Square? you ever been in Times Square? Or Maybe uh, you've been to Hollywood, California. These are two places that I've seen this take place. They have people that are, masquerading as mickey mouse have you ever seen him? or maybe spider-man or something like that what's sad is if you've ever been to disney world and met the real one and you see the ones in times square or hollywood they're a sad sad excuse for mickey mouse they're kind of like me one of their ears is crooked their eyes are kind of crossed a little bit and you know he's only about that tall and you know he's wanting to get money out of you that's one thing they do have in common the, the real one does want to get money out of you too But after you've met the real one, man, those cheap knockoffs just don't do it for you. I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, you're not the real thing. I know the real one. It's a friend of mine. I'm going to go see him in about a month again. Now, folks, can I tell you this morning, I believe we've tried to manufacture a God that's a cheap imitation of the real one. The God that most of us serve today in our country desires to serve is a God that condones sin and tolerates sin and overlooks sin and cohabitates with sin. But the God of David, the Bible says he's faithful and just. Understand this morning that the God of heaven, the one who has what we're looking for and is what we're missing this morning, he doesn't overlook sin. These cheap imitations are not going to help. That's why Josiah said, he began to seek after the God of David. He says, we need the real thing. We don't need a cheap knockoff. Revelation chapter 2, we read about the church of Thyatira. Can I tell you what God was mad about at that church? He says, "He said, what I have against you is that you have suffered. That word suffered means allowed. That prophetess who says she's a prophet, Jezebel to live. He says, I'm mad at you for what you're allowing. Can I tell you, I believe God's mad at the church today. Why? Because of what we're allowing He says, you say you represent me, but you allow things that I stand against. Look, we cannot call ourselves the people of God if we don't stand for the things that God stands for. We're the people of those cheap imitations that we've created, but that's not the God. And if we want to find what we're missing this morning, number one, we've got to know what we're looking for. The second thing is quite interesting. Notice in verse number three, the Bible says to seek after the God of David, his father. In the twelfth year, he began, watch this, to purge Judah. It's to purge Judah. That means to cleanse or purify. Notice as Josiah seeks the God of David, his father, the one true living God, he starts getting rid of things that stand in the way. The second thing this morning, notice when you're looking for what you've lost, you may need to clear out the clutter. You may need to clear out some clutter. The other day I was sitting at my desk had a lot of things going on preparing for the new year and had places I had to go, folks I had to go see and some different things. And I jot notes on pieces of paper. I just jot things. I had a note here and note, note here and note it, here. And it looked like a bomb went off on my desk. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything I was looking for. I was supposed to, I had sermon notes on one side. I mean, I had all of, I couldn't find what I was, what had been lost. So what I did was I finally had enough and I decided I was fixing to clean up some of this mess. Get rid of the little Debbie wrappers that are there. Hey, Amen. You're smiling because you're guilty too. Get rid of some of that stuff that's on there. Get rid of the hunting magazines that are on there. Get rid of you know the, the 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 souvenirs from the LSU game and all of that. I had finally gotten so tired of not being able to find what I was looking for that I was willing to clean out some clutter. Now, can I tell you this morning, Josiah wanted to seek after God so bad that he was willing to clean some things out in order to find him. Sometimes our life gets like my desk, it gets cluttered with things. We have all kinds of junk in there, and a lot of those things just need to go in the garbage in order for us to find the things that we need. You know the story very well. I used to work for a garbage company, and I'm actually kind of proud of it. When I worked at the garbage company, I used to hear all these stories of people that would lose things in the garbage. My wife told me how she lost a retainer in high school in the garbage, just dumped the tray over in the garbage. and Those things are expensive, aren't they, parents? I said, what did you do? She says, I did exactly what my mama told me. I said, what did your mom tell you? She says, go in after it. So she went in after it. I heard somebody on our staff the other day threw their phone in the garbage. I don't know. I'm not going to mention whose name it was, but somebody threw their phone in the garbage. Man, you know what we did? Went in after it. Wow, that thing's valuable. Man, those things, 600 $700 now. Go in after it. When I was working at the garbage can, there was this lady who was throwing out some old purses. She told her husband, she says, look, when you go take out the garbage, get this handful of purses and throw them out. Well, he went in the closet, found some purses, and saw some others that were in the corner and thought they all went together. So he grabbed all of them, took them and put them in the garbage can, one of the McLamore's garbage company cans that I worked for, and threw them away. She called frantically down to the office. I need to go through the garbage. We're like, you don't want to do that. No, I need to. He says, Why? She says, Well, I've been saving Christmas money and I stored it in one of my old purses. And my husband grabbed those purses. He grabbed the one with all the money. We said, How much? He says, fifteen hundred dollars. Was that it, $1,500? $1, yeah, $1,500. They brought the truck back to the loading yard. They opened up the gate and dumped it all out in the loading yard. I don't know if you know this, but there's some germs and that stuff, man. <laughs> Woo. Oh, it stunk to the high heavens. Look, you know it's bad when there's juice in the bag. You ever been carrying one of those out? Some of you are like, no, because you don't carry the garbage out. You ever been carrying one of those bags out, and it's leaking that juice on the floor? Oh, that's that's teeming with bacteria. This lady just kind of does a swan dive over in that garbage, man. She is swimming. Oh, 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 Why? There was something valuable she needed to find, and she was willing to sort through the stink to get it. This morning, I think about God and how we've lost him. We've lost God. And I believe the reason we can't find him is because he's buried amongst a bunch of stink in our life that needs to be cleaned out. Josiah says this. I'm smiling. All right, I'm smiling. I love you. I really do. But this is the word of God. Josiah says, my nation has lost God. And he says the only way we can find him is to clean out some of this junk that stands between us and finding him again. folks, we're the people who are supposed to represent Almighty God. And yet it's hard to even find God in Christian homes anymore. It's, It's hard to find God in churches anymore. Why? It's Because of so much stink that we need to dig through and get out. Nehemiah found this out in chapter number four. Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the walls and it was broken down. The Bible says the gates were burned with fire. We preached on it just the other day. Verse number four, the enemy says this, he says, will thou revive the stones out of the rubbish? Notice, in amongst the rubble that was there, the stones they would use, there was a lot of rubbish that had to be cleared out of the way before Nehemiah could rebuild the city and restore the city, they had to clear out the junk. Now folks, listen to me. You may be the cleanest person on the planet physically, but we all get spiritually dirty sometimes. We all need a bath sometime. We all need to get cleaned up sometime. Life gets cluttered. We want to find what we've lost. We want to find the God that we say we serve. I'm afraid this morning we're going to have to clean out some of the, some of the sin that stands between us and him. One of the false doctrines of the false God that is created, that God will cohabitate with clutter. You see, this false God that we've created its not the true God says you know what it's okay to come as you are and stay that way and yet that's not the God of the Bible we see that when Israel sinned, God says take the tabernacle and you put it outside the camp I don't want to be around those people we're thinking yeah God you you should have and that's exactly what he's doing with us today God's not going to be nowhere near us Isaiah 59 2 the Bible says our iniquities have separated between us and our God What separated us from God? What stands between us and the God we're looking for? Sin. It's iniquity. I know it's not popular. I really wish you could see inside my heart, when I'm preaching what God says preach, me and God are having this conversation going on. You might think I'm schizophrenic or something, but really, we do. When I'm talking to you, God's talking to me, and I'm like, oh, no, I can't say that. That's not going to go over well. It'll be a low crowd tonight, but God says, "I told you to say it." And I "Well, I, what if I don't want to say it?" God says, "I want you to say it." There's this tug of war going on between. I know it's not popular, but Isaiah 59:2 says, "It's our iniquities that separate us from God." Why can't we find Him? Because He's way over there on the other side of our sin. So if we want to find the God that we are missing, then we're going to have to clear out some clutter. Luke 15:8, the Bible tells us about the woman who had ten coins. The Bible says if she lose one, if she lose one, the Bible says she lights a candle and sweeps the house. Now, why on earth did God say sweep the house? Why couldn't he have just said light the candle and go sort through the junk? No, it says she lights a candle and sweeps the house. You see, she's getting out anything that could hide what she's looking for. I fear this morning that God is hiding somewhere behind our sin and we can't see him because there's something in the way. Luke 15, the same passage, the Bible tells us about the lost sheep. Look what the shepherd did to find that lost sheep. Oh, the effort, why? Because he valued what he was missing. And I, I fear that's why we, we don't believe in repentance anymore because it's not that valuable to us. This lady was willing to dig through germ-infested garbage, to find $1,500, and yet we're not willing to sift through our sin to find the one true living God. It's everything we're looking for. Proverbs 25, four, the Bible tells us to purge out the dross. The Bible says purge out the dross. That's the impurities on the silver that we might have a vessel for the finer. That means we might have something pure and useful and beautiful, but first there must be a purging. One of my favorite hymns, I printed it off Yeah, I printed it off. My favorite hymns is nothing between my soul and the Savior. The verse says this, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Can I ask you this morning, is there something between your soul and the Savior? Is there something standing between you and God this morning, and you're looking for God and looking for God, but you can't find God because God's on the other side of that sin that we refuse to deal with? Josiah didn't say, We're going to put God on the throne. No, Josiah says, We're going to purge the nation. And I believe this morning, if we would just clear out some of the clutter, we'd find God. We read throughout history revival always followed repentance. Revival always followed repentance. Folks, understand, there, there used to be a day in the age of the church, it's almost a bygone era, where people would get rid of things. There used to be times at youth camp, young people would come to the altar, they would talk about all of the CDs they had hid underneath their bed that mom and dad didn't know about it. They would get on the phone and they'd call their mom and dad from camp and say, I want you to go look under my bed right now. There's a CD you want not allow me to have. Well, the problem is now mom and dad allow them to have it. There's no need to get rid of it. You know, Acts chapter 19, the Bible tells us when these people got saved, they brought all of their books and they burned them. There was a day in America where we cleaned house. Why? Because we wanted to know God. We wanted to find the one true living God who could give us what we're looking for. Until then, we're running from what we're looking for. Number two, we need to clear out the clutter. Real quickly, look down at verse number eight. The Bible says, now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, notice what he sent them to do. The Bible says to repair the house of his Lord, to repair the house of his Lord. So what are we talking about? We're talking about how do we look for what is lost? Number one, you need to know what you're looking for. We're not looking for the God that's been created in 2019. No, we need to find the God of our great-grandfathers. That's the God we need to find. Number two, we may have to clear out some clutter to find what we're looking for, but then notice after he cleared out the clutter, verse number eight, the Bible says he sent these men to repair the house of the Lord his God. Now, here's what's interesting. During this time, the temple was co-opted at times with some of the false gods. They would use the temple of God for idol worship, and it slowly fell in disrepair. So Josiah says, look, if we're going to find the true God, we're going to have to restore what we've been neglecting. The third thing this morning on how do we look for what is lost, it may require us to put things where they belong. We may have to put some things where they belong, and I'll answer, explain that. Do you know when I cleaned my desk off, not everything on my desk was garbage, Some of the things were garbage. They needed to go. But there were some things on my desk that were good. I had some books. I had an iPad. I had different things that were there. But you see, they didn't belong there. You see, I have a bookshelf behind me, and it's not just for dead animals. I I try to put some books up there where you think I have a little bit of intelligence. But some of those books were out of place. In order for my desk to get back where it needed to be, I had to put some things where they belong. And here's what Josiah is saying. Josiah is saying in order for us to find God, we've got to make sure God is where he belongs. And we get the house of God back in the shape that it needs to be. Here's you, a real deep point. One sure way to lose God is to take him out of his place. One sure way to lose track of God is to take him out of his place. He say, what do you mean? Well, my wife and my mother have a very similar rule. And I thought after I got married, I wouldn't have this rule anymore, but wife's come with rules too, and she has rules. And one of her rules is don't take her silverware out of her house. My mom had that rule too, amen? Don't take the silverware out of the house. But every once in a while, I'm in a rush, I'm eating something, I just have to jump in the car, and we have some really ornate silverware, and it's got a Mickey Mouse punched out in the end of it. You ever come to our house, you have a Mickey silhouette punched out in our silverware. If you don't like that, you can use plastic, but that's what we use. My wife says, if you take it out of the house, you most likely will lose it. It doesn't belong out of the house, it belongs in the house. If you'll keep it where it belongs, you won't lose it. Here's what Josiah is saying Josiah is saying, in order for us to get God back in our country, we've got to get God back in his rightful place. And the reason they had lost track of God is they had neglected God's rightful place in their country, they had dethroned him. Can I ask you this morning, how does the place of God look in your life today? The place of God in verse number 8 was in disrepair. God's rightful place was falling in. It was in disrepair. They had neglected it. Can I tell you, I believe so often the reason we lose track of God is because we've dethroned God and something else is in his place. That's why the temple of God was in disrepair I have found this. You can write this down. as some of the deepest theology I've given you since I've been here. It's easy to find things when they're in their rightful place. Amen. That's deep. My pen, can I tell you why I have not lost my pen? Much to my wife's dismay. Can I tell you why I haven't lost it? When I come in in the afternoons, most afternoons, I have this little wardrobe thing. That's what they call that, right? Wardrobe. My coat hangs on it, and there's a little box where I put my tie clip, my cuff links, and I put my pen in there every night. You're never going to believe this. Hold on. In the morning when I go looking for it, guess where it's at? Right where I put it. Right where I put it. Folks, can I tell you the reason that Judah had lost track of God? It's because they had neglected his place of where he belonged. This is the same problem the church at Ephesus had. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. You see, so often it's not that we've lost God, we have left God. Not that we've lost him. How do you lose God? You leave him behind. That's why we can't find him because we've neglected him. God does not have his rightful place in our life. You're never going to find God and bring God back to your home, your life, and this country if God does not sit in the rightful place that he deserves. You see, he says we need to put some things in order, and God's house is falling down. So often I believe our kids, look at our life, And our job has that spot, that first place in our life that God should have. Maybe it's our hobbies. I was talking to somebody the other day, and folks, you know, I like sports. I like to play sports, and I don't play them as good as I used to. That's for sure. I enjoy watching it. Man, our guys' football team has just been so dominant this year and just won a tournament. I enjoy all of that stuff. But you need to make sure you keep things in the right order. I see so many parents, they get more excited about their kids' athletics than their walk with God. Look, look, we can't hope that our kids find God. What is Josiah doing? He says, I hope, we're seeking God. You can't hope that your children are going to find God if God is not in his rightful place in your life. If they see it exalted, God exalted and elevated in your life, then that's what they'll want. But so often that's not the case. There's always something in the place of God. And Josiah says, the only way we're going to find God again is to put things back where they belong. Or we're going to put God back in his rightful place. The last thing I'll give you before we go home, verse number 14, the Bible says, as they're repairing the temple, something amazing happens. As they brought the money out of the house of the Lord. The Bible says, the Hilkiah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah answered and says to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, this is amazing. In the process of seeking God, they found God's word that had been lost. And if you look at a beautiful progression here that's taking place, watch what's happening. They're seeking God. I'm seeking the real God. Not this false one. I'm seeking the real one. It led them to repentance, that as they sought out the real God, it led to restoring God to his rightful place. And then finally, we see the end of this thing. We see them returning to God's word. It's no coincidence this morning that things were in the shape that they were in. The reason they had lost God is they had left his word. You'll lose him every time. You can't walk with God in, op- in opposition to his word at the same time. You can't do that. So number three, the most important thing we need to do when we're looking for what is lost, we need to go to the last place we had it. We need to go to the last place that we had it. Can I tell you the truth of the matter this morning is, God was right where they had left him. God was right where they had left him. When Judah and Jerusalem decided to veer away from God's word, that's where they left God. God. We live in a world today where this false God has created this false doctrine that you can have God but not his word. Can't do it. So we're asking God to come down. We're asking God to work. We're asking God to heal our nation. You cannot have God without his word. The Bible tells us in Psalms 138 that he had magnified his word above all of his name. He magnified it. That's how important his word is. John 1.14, the Bible says that Jesus was the word that was made flesh. They're inseparable. We can't have God. We pray, God, I want you to do something in America. God says, you will not have me without my word. It's kind of a package deal. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? Where did Adam and Eve lose track of God? It's when they left his word. That's where they lost him. They lost him when they left his word and listened to the words of Satan. Where did Saul lose track of God? He lost him when he left his word. Where did Judah and Jerusalem lose track of God? They lost him when they left his word. I believe America has lost track of God because America does not want to live by his word and will not find what we're looking for until we do get back to what he says. I'll tell you this real quickly. I had a man sit in my office before we moved here, led the man to the Lord, he got on fire for God and, and he was growing his family was growing. He was in his Bible. He would call me to, to tell me that he found something in the Bible. Did you know that was in there? Of course, you're know, the preacher. You want to, you know, you know, you don't want to put out his fire. Like, whoa, man, that's great. You know, yeah, I knew that was in there. I've, I've read read it. You know, it's amazing what you'll find if you just read it. There's some good stuff in there. Better than fortune cookies and Max Lucado calendars. I assure you, if you just get in there. And this guy was sitting in my office. He had recoiled and gotten away from the Lord and. He says this, he says, you remember that six months right after I got saved? I said, yeah. He said, it was the happiest six months of my life. He was in the Bible, he was in Sunday school, he was in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, man. He could not get enough of God, but then slowly his lifestyle began to come between him and God's word. And he had to choose, am I gonna do what thus saith the Lord or what thus saith my lifestyle? And he chose the lifestyle, and now he's sat in my office one of the most miserable Moments of his life, just six months removed from walking with God. Can I tell you why he had happiness and joy and peace in those six months? It's because he was adhering to God's word. But you walk out on God's word, you're walking out on the joy, the peace, the contentment and the power that you're seeking in everything else that you'll not find it in. Psalms 119.9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word how do we get things cleaned up how do we get things back where they need to be you've got to get back to the word by taking heed thereto unto all or according to thy word josiah comes to the throne and josiah says god's gone can't find god can i ask you a question this morning can you look around your life and find god is he there look around our country he's not here we've lost him we've lost him If we're going to find him, number one, we've got to know what we're looking for. We're looking for the true God, the God of the Bible. If we're going to find him, we may have to clean out some clutter and purge some things. If we're going to find him, we may have to put things where they belong, and the job may have to become number three or four on the list, but God's got to have his rightful place restored. And maybe this morning you, in order to have the God that you seek, you're going to have to get back to where you left him. And you left him when you abandoned his word. I'm thankful this morning that not only is God just, but he's faithful. The Bible says he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's right where we left him. God's right where we left him. We want to find what we're looking for this morning. We're going to have to go back to his word. We're going to have to clean some things out, get some things back where they belong, and decide this morning that nothing in our life, as Brother Brent sang about earlier, is going to keep us from being in the center of God's perfect will before we leave here today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're going to stop there.